Jansen with a fly ball that's hit to deep left field. It's a tie game. Down to their final out. Danny Jansen hits his 11th home run of the season, and the Blue Jays have tied it. And they went on to win 5-4. The Blue Jays' uh, first half in the books as uh, the MLB All-Star Game goes tonight. Festivities in Seattle. Lots of booing for Rob Manfred. Uh, only to be uh, changed when uh, Rob Manfred started mes- uh, mentioning the Houston Astros. And that uh, took over the booing from Seattle fans. Uh, so it should be fun at T-Mobile Park. Uh, tonight with the Home Run Derby and tomorrow, of course, the All-Star Game. It's Halford and Bruff in the morning with Dan Richo and Randy Janda. Halford and Bruff in the morning brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. The Blue Jays are 50-41. and 41. It's hour three of the program. We've gotten a lot in on the on the Canucks and uh, the Canadian soccer story from last night and uh, turning our focus uh, to baseball here with the uh, All-Star game happening in Seattle this week. Um, how big of a home run derby guy are you? This is the like from geographical proximity. I don't know if I've ever been this close to a home run yeah. derby. I've always wanted to go to a home run derby. And when I looked at prices, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to the home run derby because I don't want to drop a thousand bucks to sit in the outfield and maybe catch a ball. Yeah, declare bankruptcy after you go to the home run yeah. derby. Are I, you are you more likely to catch an elbow than a ball? Probably <laughs> at the home run derby. I used to love the home run derby. I used to watch it religiously, religiously like the Ken yeah. Griffey era, right? Yeah. Where it was backwards hat, the coolest guy in baseball. Even had his video game, which was he was the only licensed player in the game. Everybody else was just made up. Yeah, but now. But there was that guy that looked like Jay Buhner on the on the Mariners as well. Yeah, yeah. and there's like the California Angels team was all like Hollywood actors, like Humphrey Bogart batting cleanup, <laughs> right? Like it was wild, man. It was a great video game. It's more like Jay Buhnot. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> anyway. stop. But now I'm not what a the huge. How did fan. you trade Jay Buhner for? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah that's that's that that reference lives in the afternoons. Yes. So we can't use that in the morning. Not a huge, not a huge home run derby guy now though. I just like. It Wait, doesn't you don't like have the clock. S- They've sped it up. No, you know, it's, it's just... got more of a a tournament feel since there's head to head matchups. I feel like it, I don't know. When you're a kid, you appreciate it more. Yeah. Maybe it was maybe it was the steroid era. I don't know what it was, but it just it felt like it was more. I was more into it back then. The um, last year, Julio Rodriguez, uh, obviously Mariners star prospect. Well, not prospect anymore. Mariners star player. Oh, he's here. Uh, Last year, you know, was the star prospect that took baseball by storm, hit 81 bombs in the home run derby. And he will be defending his title tonight. Uh, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is in it and is representing the Blue Jays. It's been an interesting year for Vladdy Guerrero Jr. Hasn't had the best first half. He's gotten better uh, over the last number of weeks, but... You know, this is we've had a lot of talk about expectations and, you know, Vladdy's expectations are to be one of the better hitters in baseball. And he hasn't been that this year. No, he hasn't. And you look back at, you know, what two years ago when just off the charts numbers, the expectation is really, really high, not only for the individual, but for the team. And there's no direct line, right? Like this is a tough division, the Rays. 
they snapped their losing streak yesterday, but they're still 20-plus games yeah. above 500. The Orioles are 20 games, 19 games above 500. And Vladdy, being the main face on the team, when you don't produce to a, a high level, you know, he's been above average, you could say, but the highest of levels, you're going to hear it. And that's the reality. But I think one of the things that you can take from this team is that they haven't played their best baseball, and neither has their star. There's yep. you know, just shy of a half a season left, and they're in the wild card hunt. They're still very much a part of this. So there is still, you know, I'm taking a from a, a, a Blue Jays perspective, a, a glass half full approach because there's still a lot of run left here at Reach. It's uh, Dan Richo and Randy Pjanda. Let's bring in our next guest, uh, baseball columnist with Sports at Blue Jays Insider. It is Shai Davidi. Thanks for this, Shai. Uh, 50 and 41 through the uh, first half of the season for the Blue Jays. You know, record wise, it seems decent but you know the third in the division and uh it still feels like they left some wins on the table as well yeah it's good not great is maybe the way that i'd put it you know like i think the the talent suggests that they should be better than that certainly there's some games that they had no business losing that they ended up losing or to you know games like you mentioned left on the table uh, and then you look at the roster, and you're like, okay, well, Vladdy hasn't been at his best. George Springer hasn't been at his best. You know, Matt Chapman, April aside, hasn't been at his best. Alejandro Kirk hasn't been at his best. There's uh, Alec Manoa clearly hasn't been at his best. There's a number of performances there that you look at and say, okay, well, you know, they, they, these guys should be a little bit better. There should be more there. And I guess at that point it becomes – are you a half-empty type of person or are you half-full kind of person, right? If you're half-empty, you're like, this is why this team isn't going gonna, gonna to struggle to maybe barely get a wild card. And if you're half-full, you're like, okay, well, they're going to click in the second half, and that's really going to carry this team to their, uh, to their maximum potential. So it's a really strange kind of first half. Uh, and a lot of, uh, to be honest, a frustrating one for the media. Well, you mentioned a lot of players there that haven't been at their best, but looking at the first half and a bit of the season, what's the biggest positive from a Blue Jays perspective for you? I think you could probably look at Jose Barrios' return to form. Uh, certainly there were some question marks about what he was going to be, whether last year was an aberration. And you know, I think there was some trust that, given the track record, uh, that was going to be an aberration. But you never really know. And so the fact that he's pitched like a legit number two again uh, has been a very significant development for this team. Something that's been essential when you factor in that Alec Manoa spent a month in the minors and struggled badly before that. So uh, his emergence has been uh, really vital to, or reemergence has been absolutely vital for this team. I think you look at Whit Merrifield and uh, the way that he's performed, uh, earning himself another all-star selection. You certainly wouldn't have necessarily, you know, locked that in before the season. And he's been a real catalyst and spark plug for, for this club. And I think that that's been important. And then, you know, Eric Swanson with a huge amount of, uh, of innings and, and games pitched in, he's been very strong. Tim Beza, it kind of gets lost a little bit, but he's been almost, uh, you know, like it's been an elite level season of relief work from him. So there's certainly been uh, a number of players who maybe have given you a bit more than you might have expected for them. That's usually how it goes in a baseball season. But 
you know, at a certain point, you need your best players to be your best players. And that hasn't always been the case for the Blue Jays. Boba shed aside. The, you know, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is going to take center stage with the uh, home run derby tonight. Has just 13 homers on the season and is an OPS under 800. Doesn't sound like a guy that should be in the home run derby when you think of the numbers that way. But we know the power potential. It's just kind of trying to figure out what's going on with Vladdy Guerrero and through this first half of the season. Do you feel like he's coming out of it? Yeah, I mean, you and everyone else around the Blue Jays trying yeah. to figure it out, right? Like, every predictive stat that you have in baseball, be it like exit velocity, expected batting average, expected slug, average exit velocity, barrel rate, all those kinds of things, like suggest that he's one of the top five hitters in baseball. And, you know, very few people, if anybody hit the ball as hard as him on a consistent basis, are able to make the type of contact that, that he does. You know, he walks at an elite rate. He doesn't strike out at an elite rate. It, it just – everybody's just trying to understand what's going on here. And, uh, you know, big, a lot of the talk is really coming down to his pitch selection and the type of ball that he's trying to put into play. And is some of that – his anxiousness and his, him trying to force it at times, to try and deliver that impact. Is he, is he chasing results a little bit? I think that's one of the theories. It's hard with a hitter because you never really know what's going on in their head. Only they do uh, in the moment. But the way he started the season, you look at his first six weeks, you're like, okay, he's on one. This is going to be a good year for Vlad. And then he sits out a couple of days in Pittsburgh with some wrist soreness and, and it takes him a while over the next five, six weeks. And, you know, he's a, sh- a shadow of his former self for a while. And is that tied to the wrist? He's never made that excuse. But you can certainly, uh, I mean, point to the circumstantial evidence and say there may be some connection. And then over the past two, three weeks, it seems like he's picking it up again. So I think the Blue Jays are desperately hoping that they get the elite Vlad back for, you know, the final two, two and a half months. Uh, that would be an absolute game changer for this team. And... If he does, and all of a sudden the rest of the offense probably comes together in a way that it hasn't to this point, and this team is able to really take off. Yeah, Vlad Guerrero has been a, a huge talking point for this team, and so has Alec Manoa. Uh, quite frankly, a, a terrible season for him. He has a good return back at the, at the MLB level late last week, but what's a realistic expectation for him the rest of the way here? Is it, hey, you need the Alec Manoa of old, ASAP, and, and that's the expectation, or is there going to be a, a longer road here uh, to get him back to speed and d- back to his level? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what a real, to be honest, I don't know. And I don't know if the Blue Jays really know, and I don't know that Alec Manoa really knows, right? This has been obviously uh, a season uh, that's been difficult for everyone around him to wrap their minds around uh, because it was so unexpected given where he was, how good he's been. Uh, the ability, all that stuff. And when he came back, I don't know if the Blue Jays were 100% convinced that they were going to see what they saw on Friday, where he threw the six innings and six innings one-run ball was really good. And uh, it just looked like, okay, this is what you wanted. But, you know, I was in Manchester, uh, New Hampshire, when he started for the A Fisher Cats, and it looked like he'd gotten some of that swag back, some of the self-confidence, and he certainly carried that to the big leagues. If he's able to maintain that, I think it'd be great. You know, uh, really realistically, 
the Blue Jays, I don't think, are counting on him to be, you know, all-star Cy Young candidate Alec Manoa if they get consistent performance, consistent innings out of him where he's just keeping the team in the game. I think they take that and run for this year and then try to figure out next steps next year. But, again, on the spectrum of possibility, he could certainly go on that run and and uh, reemerge as a uh, playoff-caliber starter, and he could struggle again. I mean, it's really all over the place because I I don't know that anybody is ready to lock in one outcome uh, based on what they've seen so far this season. As far as, you know, uh, planning for the trade deadline and, and what uh, this team needs to add, I mean, feels like they could uh, use a couple of things on both sides of the ball. You know, they could use an extra bat. They could probably use some help in, in, in the bullpen as well. Uh, could you see Ross Atkins, or how busy will Ross Atkins be ahead of the deadline? Well, I mean, I think they'll be busy in terms of trying to explore the all, all the different options for sure. The one, the challenge, there are a couple of challenges, right? As things sit now, there don't appear to be a lot of teams who are going to be looking to sell. So this may be, and again, things can change in a few weeks for sure, but this may be the type of deadline where you might have to get a little bit creative and trade you know, need for needs off big league rosters and not necessarily use prospects. So that's challenge A. Challenge B is that the Blue Jays farm system isn't as deep as it's been in the past few years. And they may have a bit of a tougher time getting in on some of the deals because because there's fewer sellers, uh, the selling teams will be maybe able to pick the clubs that they like the prospects of the best in order to make their deals. So in that way, I think they're going to have to really try to be creative. And there, there may be some beauty in the eye of the beholder at play as well. Uh, in terms of needs, I think this is part, partly figuring it out, right? In theory, you would have thought starting pitcher, but if Alec Minow is back and Senjin Ryu continues to make the progress that he's made, well, that takes care of a starter. Uh, if Chad Green continues along his line, well, that takes care uh, perhaps of a reliever. And then at that point, okay, do they, could they use another bat? I think they could certainly use another bat. You know, for me, and I don't know that the San Francisco Giants end up selling, uh, Jock Peterson, to me, is uh, perhaps the ideal fit for them. Uh, and the guy play a little first base, a little bit of outfield, play some DH, and just uh, give you some impact on the left side. I think that would really unlock some things in their lineup. But, uh, again, he may not end up being available. So uh, that would be sort of a dream scenario. But, I don't know that it's out there. So uh, it's going to be a really, really difficult and challenging trade deadline period for the Blue Jays. And I think they're going to have to, they're going to really have to do something in order to give this team a bit of a jolt because I think they can use it. And Chad, before we let you go, I wanted to also hit you up on the, uh, the draft. Uh, the Blue Jays made uh, a pick, uh, their first pick in the draft and number pick number 20, Arjun Namala was taken out of uh, Florida shortstop, 17 year old kid. Uh, Seems like this pick is all about projection. A lot of comps out there. What do you make of the pick and the opportunity here for not only the young kid, but also for the Blue Jays with this pick? Yeah, it's super intriguing, right? Because if you zoom out a little bit, so the Blue Jays lose their second-round pick uh, because of the free agent signing of Chris Bassett. So they've only got two picks in the first 100, and 
one of them is way, way at the back end of it in 89. This is your swing. And so you could have really easily gone conservative and just been like, okay, this guy's probably going to be a player. Maybe you give up some ceiling, but um, you trade that for some certainty. And instead, they, they took a massive swing because uh, Namala's skill set, if it continues to develop on the, on the path that it's on, he could be a, a five-tool shortstop if all that works out. You know, he's got a ton of power, uh, especially as, uh, as a younger player in, in the draft class. Uh, you like the fact that he's had to fight his way to this point, despite on a consistent basis competing against guys at times almost a full year older than him. And the, the mindset, all the pieces are certainly there, but they have to come together. And so uh, the Blue Jays could have gone a little bit more conservative. They could have gone for a college bat like Chase Davis or something along those lines. And instead they said, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's take the big play here. Uh, and if it all comes together, then they may have one of the more dynamic players to come out of this draft. Uh, but again, he's, he's 17. There's a ton of risk there. Uh, it could take a long time for him to get to the big league level and it may not work out. So a, a really interesting pick for all those ways, for all those reasons. Excuse me. Do you have a favorite spot to hit when you're in Seattle? Uh, not really. Like uh, I just enjoy, honestly, I enjoy walking around the outdoors. Yeah. Like uh, I'm circling around uh, climate pledge arena right now and uh, the space needle area. And uh, it's just, uh, there's something about the, uh, Pacific Northwest air that uh, Torontonian <laughs> like me can't get enough of. So, uh, well, we always appreciate. Yeah, we always appreciate your time, Shy. Uh, really enjoy the uh, the home run derby tonight, and we'll talk soon. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great week. Uh, there is uh, Shy Davidi, one of the best in the business, Blue Jays insider, joining us from Seattle, where the home run derby will take place tonight. If I recall correctly, we hung out with Shy in Seattle. Uh, yeah. Might have been uh, somewhere at Flagstick Pub. One yep. of them. There's there's a few of them down there in Seattle, but. Uh, Apparently they like to mix um, tacos, beer, and mini golf in the same place. I remember it being a fun night. It was <laughs> me, you, Shy, and uh, Israel Fair. That's right. That's right. Uh, after that. And then we had shawarma later on that night. Yes. After that Blue Jays game, we'd rather forget. If you don't know the story, Reach invited me to a unnamed beer was... company bus trip. <laughs> yes. It took us eight hours to get there. We could have flown to London, England by the time we got to <laughs> Seattle for this game. We missed first pitch. We left Vancouver at 10 a.m. We missed first pitch. We got there at 7.10. That's what happens when you let And we did not drink any beer. This is what happens when you let people from Toronto choose the route to go to Seattle. They took the Linden border. <laughs> it was like two lanes open. Anyways. It was such a disaster. Thanks for that, Reach. Uh, that was the night that uh, the guy jumped onto the field, ended up getting deported. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That was, a, that was an interesting night. We didn't have any beer. He had plenty. He had too much. <laughs> yes, he had uh, maybe maybe a few too many. Uh, Blue Jays will actually be in Seattle later on this month as well for that big one uh, in case you are uh, looking to go down to T-Mobile Park. And we did talk about the Arjun Namala yep. draft pick yesterday. Really cool story. His parents actually immigrated from India to the United States. He learned cricket first. He yeah. was playing that. There's a le- great feature on him from MLB Network. A really well-spoken kid, but he talks about the uppercut swing and what he learned from cricket. And he would, if he makes the major league, major leagues, right? Like a long road. He's 17 years 
old at this point, but he would be the first player of Indian descent to make it to the big leagues. There's been a, a number of other players that worked their way up and were playing in the minors, but cool story there and how he got his start in cricket through his dad. Yeah, and uh, the Blue Jays have actually done more and more uh, with that connection, the cricket connection and and baseball. I know they... Um, you know, they had some events more recently over at Rogers Center in Toronto. Chris uh, Gill was there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they were, uh, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, I don't know if the connection has been made often, maybe outside of the Million Dollar uh, Arm movie, but um, you know, something that is really interesting. And after watching that MLB Network story, which the Blue Jays did tweet out, uh, very easy to be on Team Arjun and cheering on his uh, his rise to the major leagues potentially. So uh, check that out, Dan Richo and Randy Janda. Home run derby tonight. Is the home run derby the goat of like any All Star event? No, I'm I'm still the dunk competition to me. Really? Yeah. Still? Yeah. Like I feel like the ceiling today. Do you even remember who won the last yeah, dunk but competition? But like when they're good, they're like really really good. Like the Aaron Gordon I- versus Zach Levine. That revived it. Yes. The ceiling for dunk competitions is higher like than a, home run derbies. Every like five years or so, there's somebody who makes the 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 dunk comp interesting for a minute. It was like uh, Blake Griffin did it for that yeah. one brief moment. Obviously, Vince. Uh, when, Nate Robinson did it for a little bit yeah, too, right? Vince Sanity did it uh, when they originally brought it back, right? Yeah, Kobe had the one year, which was you know great. Um, but in the overall, the dunk comp, like there's only just there's only so much you can do. But haven't home runs been devalued anyways? Because everybody's just swinging for the home run anyways. <laughs> yes. Right, like. Well, you can say whatever well, you want so about the nineties. Like Vladdy's got thirteen, and he's in the he's in the Derby tonight. Yeah, that's basically the equivalent of some you know Derek Favors. Remember back <laughs> in the day, you're like, "Who the hell is this guy in the dunk competition? I've never heard this guy." And Vladdy's got thirteen home runs. Like it's the same thing to me. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, uh, a Mariners star, will try to defend his title in the home run Derby tonight, and I believe we're airing it on the station. All right. I should. I probably shouldn't guess about this. Yes, thumbs up. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we have confirmation. <laughs> I hope Elon. Hey, when I'm a morning entire- guy, I don't know what happens after four o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, you guys are on your own after that. It's bedtime. <laughs> it's Dan Richo and Randy Janda. We'll get to uh, what we learned. Six fifty, six fifty on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You can get in uh, your what we learns in there. We'll have hours as well. And we'll continue to uh, close this out before Halford and Bruff take over across the uh, Sportsnet radio network. If we're Halford and Bruff in the morning, what are they from 9 to noon? Are they Jeff Merrick? (laughs) Are they some sort of hybrid between Durant and Merrick? Are they still calling it Halford and Bruff in the morning? They're not in the morning on the East Coast. They got to think about the East Coasters. Just like the East Coasters think about us. Anyways. No comment. I'll stop complaining. I'm on a national television show, all right? I can't, <laughs> I can't take shots at the East Coast right now. <laughs> Be careful. Uh, all right. You're listening to Halford and Bruff in the Morning with Dan Riccio and Randy Janda on Sports at 650. All right, I'm told uh, we can just call it the morning show. We don't have to name drop the guys every single time? Not every time. Okay. Uh, but we, we can mostly call it the morning show. And we're still going to steal their segments so that we're able to get through the morning easier. Sure. <laughs> hey, they got, they got some good segments. Why not? 
Uh, so what we learned is coming up 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, get your what we learns in. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. It's uh, Dan Riccio and Randy Janda here on the morning show. And um, we've had a lot of good discussions about uh, Nils Hoaglander this morning where he fits or doesn't fit onto the Canucks roster, but also uh, the Canadian men's soccer team, a little bit of baseball talk with the home run derby coming up tonight. So a lot of good things that we can get into and also your what we learns. Uh, let's get to what we learned here on the show. It's brought to you by Get Fire Plan. Protect what matters most with comprehensive fire safety plans, monthly audits, and risk mitigation of $200 off, visit GetFirePlan.com. So, oh, my God! Yeah. We're having a fire plan! <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I didn't know that was coming, but that was very good. <laughs> the more Tobias Funke drops, the better the show. Ed. Yeah. Uh, when I think of plans, I think I just think of Daniel Plan, Lisa needs braces. Anyways. Different show, man. Come on. Come on. There's, I'm, su- I'm supposed to make at least one Simpsons reference a day. Is that correct? Okay. That's, that's okay. part of the, the Halford that won't be in the morning situation. Shouldn't be too hard. Uh, all right. They're coming up after 9 o'clock. They're going national, so they're going big time. Uh, all right. It's what we learned. And um, I will say this. What we learned, expectations have changed and they've landed on John Herdman's doorstep. There is no longer a complete love-in for the Canadian men's national team coach. Yeah, life moves fast, doesn't it, right? right. Where everybody was like, man, this guy can motivate any team out there. It's all wins. It's all gravy. Yeah. This, this is never going to be negative. When he, uh, it's never going to get negative. Everybody sort of loved it when he made the joke about Croatia. Or... When he said, "Was that a Croatia. joke?" I don't know about that. I was like, "He he Masai Ujiri'd it basically, <laughs> right?" I don't That's know if true. Brooklyn. I don't know if Brooklyn saw that as a joke. It, it hasn't really worked out for John Herdman ever since. No. Um, that Canada Belgium match. Davies misses the penalties. They have so many chances. They end up not winning that game, losing that game, and it sets off like a chain reaction of disappointments in the world cup afterwards. Like nobody expected them to beat Croatia. They get hammered in that game, get hammered by Morocco after as well are dead last in the world cup standings still haven't won a men's world cup game in all these years in, well, just two appearances, but it's still been a disappointment. And after that, the fallout, they sort of, found their feet again a little bit, but they lose the Nations League final to the U.S. Don't look very good in that match. And this Gold Cup, yeah, like last night they're an underdog against the U.S., but you lost a group with Guatemala, Guadalupe, and Cuba? Like, you didn't win that group? That's just, like, that's not good enough. It's not, and I can understand that criticism for sure, but let's maybe ask the question of the Belgium match. Mm -hmm. They should have won that. They had the opportunities. Yeah. But should that match change everything? Should it though? Yeah. Like, I don't, I think that was a, uh, 
a lot about Canada, but it was a lot about Belgium. Belgium was not the same team we've seen over the last number of years. And I would say, I would say, yeah, it, it's something that you look at with, you know, Canada's growth as a soccer nation. It has been very, very quick, but expectations, it, it's tricky, man. Like this is a tough, tough sport to navigate. Yeah. Look at some of the best teams in Europe over the years. They've had some great players. And they couldn't make it out of the you know group stage of their domestic competitions too. It's not that easy. It's never that easy. Uh, all right, so we'll, we'll keep going with our what we learns. Uh, I have so many, like I could take the next twenty minutes and complain about Canada soccer, but uh, I don't know if all the listeners really want to hear that. Qualicum golf guy, you're forgetting about the BC Lions. Vernon's comeback from six interceptions in the last game. What's up? Uh, well, we learned that the Lions bounced back with a thirty-five nineteen win over the Alouettes and Vernon Adams. Got it back in line and looked great again. So that's good on the BC Lions. Winning back on home turf and getting it back after uh, that tough loss to the Argos. You got a what we learned for us, right? I do, actually. I'm linking it back to soccer, though, but it's more positive than yours. Yours was super negative. And All right. I, I'm bringing some positivity here. Canadian soccer just has this, like, incredible ability to have the most – spectacularly unfortunate moments possible. Like the tying goal last night. Oh, yeah. Dane St. Clair makes a great kick save and a beauty. And it's like, oh, off my defender and in the net. Great. It's the way it happens. All right. You're a Canadian soccer guy. You should know this. But mine yes. is positive. We learned that Canadian international and defender, Stephen Vittoria, is a goal scorer. He scored that nice penalty, but I started looking into his stats. Yeah. Did you know that he actually led his Portuguese club team in goals last year as a central defender? I didn't I'm know that. I'm not surprised in the slightest. Seven, Steven. Steven. Seven goals last year. Led the team. I remember the. They got rel. Uh, no, they, they were fine. They actually didn't get relegated. The old Woodbridge Strikers coach would call Steven. <laughs> Steven. Good uh, for him. He is an expert penalty taker, although he did not score in the shootout. He did the same thing in the shootout that he did in the game. He took Canada's penalty that tied the game before extra time. But he's been trusted for PKs a lot in his career. Did it with Estoril back in the day, and it's a great free kick taker as well. Yep. So something he doesn't really get to do with Canada that often when Davies and everybody else are around, but probably something he should do more often because, quite frankly, Davis Davies – not very good at uh, free kicks. No, and I think that hopefully that was a learning from the World Cup where it's like Jonathan David's on the pitch. He's taking him. <laughs> he's taking him. Even Kyle yeah. Laren, man. Yes. Uh, All right, we got this one. Yeah, Fonzie, not the, the best uh, PK taker either, as Belgium taught us. Justin and East Van, what we learned. Puck Doku this morning was great, but password tomorrow will be even better. Did we learn that today? <laughs> I don't know. Find out at 745 tomorrow whether we do Puck Doku or password tomorrow morning. Uh... <laughs> So what we learned, uh, Elon is uh, producing the show today. Elon, you have a what we learned for us? Yeah, I'll take it back to the BC Lions game. Yeah. Third stringer, Dominic Davis. Yeah. I learned, or we all learned that he's the most reliable, successful, trustworthy guy from a yard out to score a touchdown. Yeah. He had 13 rushing touchdowns last season for the Alouettes. Already this season, he has three for the Lions. It's pretty much the Jalen Hurts <laughs> in the, of the CFL. It's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty great. All right. I mean, if you can lock it in from a yard out, something uh, Pete Carroll never wanted to do with uh, Russell Wilson is do the old little QB sneak, and they were never they actually didn't really convert it all that often when they did it. But uh, good to see that the the Lions have found their goal line answer. 
I love that. Find the most efficient play. Call me old fashioned. Be the most efficient. I was going to say, call me old fashioned. But like the days of Corey Philpott and Sean Millington back in the day with the the lines way back when, yes, have that goal line back that just punches it in. Uh, what we learned, Detroit still isn't a playoff team after acquiring Alex Dabrinkat. I guess we didn't officially learn that yet, but that's my take, and I'm sticking to it. In that Atlantic, though, okay, Boston, if they don't have Bergeron back yeah, and Krejci, which Bergeron's the most important piece there, are they a playoff team? Like Charlie Coyle's your what? Your first line center? Yeah. Maybe Morgan Geeky. Probably at this rate. Uh, Charlie Coyle is, and um, I guess Pavel Zaka. Yeah, Zaka. That's why you pick him up so he can play down the middle as well. So probably yeah. Zaka. Coyle's probably your second or third piece. You probably throw. So who's dropping in the Atlantic? Like, I, think I hate to break it to sure. everybody. The Leafs aren't going anywhere. Tampa's not going anywhere. Florida's probably. Florida's probably well. I mean, they, I guess they got Ekblad out for a while. Are we L comeback um, season? Yeah, he's going to be running and, their first uh, power play. Through. And Miko uh, Ricola, Nicola, sorry. <laughs> Ricola's the lozenge. Ricola. <laughs> All right. All right. You just Ricola. Um, yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> what we learned: a Canadian wins stage nine of the Tour de France. Michael Woods. Uh, this is kind of surprising. Because Michael Woods, I'm not sure where uh, he did his training or anything like that, but he is like, um, I'm pretty sure he's a Toronto guy. And he won, he's in East York, Ontario. I got to say, like, East York, Ontario, not, not hilly in the slightest. So to win a mountainous stage in the Tour de France for a guy out of East York, that's impressive. It's not like he's, you know biking up uh the mountains here no he's not doing the himalayan mountains but like is that the most least talked about sporting accomplishment out there where you winning a tour de france you literally are driving through riding through an entire country yes and you end up you know winning this race whoever does yeah and it feels like we don't even though it's on tv we never talk about it Mm -hmm. Uh, other than lance armstrong but that was a (laughs) that was a different conversation around lance yes um he uh, he kind of ruined it, actually, if you think about it. He did. He did ruin it a little bit. But uh, winning stage nine of the Tour de France with a spectacular climb, making up over one minute in the last few kilometers to win the race. I'm reading straight off his Wikipedia page. So if that's wrong, I'm sorry. Yeah, I filled that out earlier. <laughs> uh, we got this one from Table Saw James. What we learned, the home run derby will probably be more compelling than the Max Verstappen F1 series. So basically him winning every single race. Ah. He's won six straight. Red Bull has won the last 11 races dating back to last year. The championship is done, basically. <sighs> this is uh, this was the problem with F1 when Ferrari was just dominating. Or even Lewis Hamilton when he was... Yeah. Okay, for every one year that you have a really compelling title race, like the last you know, two years for F1... There's was always going to title race all that compelling. Nah, at least there was a little bit of, yeah. Okay. Would Lewis come back? Would Charles Leclerc end up, you know, having some sort of impact on the race in the end? No, but yeah. reach halfway through the year. It was actually a conversation halfway through the year this year. It's going to be, is Max Verstappen going to win almost every race the rest of the way here? Pretty much. It's like secretariat. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what he is. Um, 
it's uh, Don and Penticton. Uh, there is no excuse for major Canadian TV networks not picking up Canada's Gold Cup games. What is Fubo? That's uh, what we learned from Don. Hey, Don, uh, we're all on the same page there. I think uh, the Canadian men's and women's national team games, no matter where they are or how they are being played, should be more accessible to everyone. Uh, that's uh, a bigger issue than one that is simple to sort of discuss here in the moment, but I agree they need to be more accessible to everyone. Um, we got this one here. Yep. I believe it's Rager. Mm-hmm. What we learned, 20000 for a Lions game and 16000 for a Whitecaps game would look and sound a lot better in a smaller outdoor stadium. Tear down BC Place. Oof. It's cavernous. Yes. Didn't they drop a half a billy? Yeah, ten years not, ago? They're not uh, taking that down. we got another ten years, I would say, at least. Uh, they've got uh, some World Cup games slated to be played there in 2026. So <laughs> don't think uh, don't think BC Place is going anywhere anytime soon. You think they'd soon. bring up uh, like a makeshift <laughs> Empire Field again for the World Cup? You think FIFA would be okay with that? The long <laughs> lineups of the portable washrooms? <laughs> Probably not. Probably There'd be mini not. donuts. Come on, no? no? We love mini donuts. Uh, okay, uh, this is what we learned. Uh, what we learned, Rolling Stone ranked Carly Rae Jepsen as a better Canadian music artist than Justin Bieber and the Tragically Hip. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at this list. I had no idea that they even put this out. Where's like, Nickelback in there? <laughs> they're not on the list. <laughs> kind of a list is this? I don't know. Like. I'm not the biggest Nickelback guy, but I still feel like they should be on the list considering their amount of album sales. Yep. Yep. I know know lists are made to just like piss people off and everything, but come on. Like we're really putting Carly Rae Jepsen ahead of Justin Bieber. That's what we're doing now. Okay. This is probably the only time in history. I'm going to is like the Prince of pop right now. How are we doing this? Yeah. That's who's uh, ranking these things. Clearly it was not a Leafs fan that was putting this list together (laughs) because there must be a bias, but okay. In regards to Nickelback though. Yeah. I'm not a Nickelback fan. I've made that clear in the past. You got to respect the album sales. That being said, the album sales, and they do have so many fans. They made a, you know, an impact on Canadian music. Yes. They're not in the top 50. <laughs> That's wild, man. They're not even on the list. I could, I can't believe it. Uh, Joni Mitchell is uh, number one. How do you feel about that? It's a long way from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan to Carnegie Hall. Joni told the New York crowd on February 1st, 1969. Okay. <laughs> I, I'll be honest with you. I can't relate. I can't relate to this list. I just like. Joni I can't. Mitchell, number one. Drake is number five. Yes. Which album sales. I probably would have put Neil Young, number one. But anyways. Shania Twain, number seven. Hmm. I'm not gonna say no to that, man. Shania's uh, Shania's hits they still they still slap. That's all. I, that's all. I'll say. We got this question coming in from Rager. Where's classified on this list? Ah, Rager, man. I think he was in the honorable almost, mentions. Almost as much of a, a misguided absentee than Nickelback. Classified, not on the list. He, if there was a top 500, classified would be on the list. <laughs> um. What we learned, the Whitecaps still can't defend set pieces. What year is this? Now, since we're on the Nickelback topic, we all love Vanny Sartini and 
the positivity he brings. Last week, his uh, his answer on the NHL, he was asked about the NHL not having pride jerseys anymore. I thought his answer was eloquent and well-stated, well-pointed. He has been a great ambassador for the team. He has been uh, more fun than any of us could have expected. To see him sing Nickelback with Chad Kroger on stage was just absolute madness. But the Whitecaps still can't defend set pieces with him as the coach. And that is frustrating to me. I think all three goals they gave up to the Seattle Sounders on Saturday started from a set piece or were not shortly after a set piece was taken by the Sounders. Now the Whitecaps are ninth in the West. You know, they're expected goals and some things they tell us they should be better than they have been, but... When you can't defend set pieces, you're going to piss results away. And uh, they gave up two separate leads that they had built against the Sounders on Saturday. And that's uh, simply not good enough. So It's a trend, but also it's a Cascadia game, which hurts even more so, right? Yeah. Like the, the Whitecaps, for all the, the big wins here and there in Cascadia matchups, still kind of the little brother when it comes to the big, big conversation in MLS behind Portland, behind Seattle. And to give away that lead in that fashion to that team, Mm -hmm. that hurts extra. Uh, What we learned, I believe we have uh, more coming in. Guy in the street still uh, hating on Puktoku. I learned that Radio Puktoku is a show killer. So, uh, Guy in the street, although he was so mad about Puktoku, has stuck around to make sure his text for what we learned got in an hour later. If we had time, we might do Puckdoku again <laughs> just for a guy in the streets. But we well, don't. There's only we one do a day. There's only uh, one a day. Only one a day. What we learned is we totally enjoyed the Lions game and look forward to Whitecaps games. Forty thousand empty seats. Yeah. Facts only. It's it fact. is a bit facts only. Yeah. It was disappointing. I think the Whitecaps had uh, around sixteen thousand on on Saturday for the the Cascadia match against yep. Seattle. Man, like even pre-pandemic, those were over 19,000. You know, you usually get over 20,000 maybe for some of those matches. It's been uh, it's been a tough go. Whitecaps, you know, they you got to win to get people excited. But hey, the Lions are winning. Yeah. Right? The Lions are 4-1, and one, and yeah, they had that game against Toronto, but it is a positive product right now. It's a an ownership group that is giving so much optimism. So hopefully with time, those numbers, as this team continues to pick up wins and rack up wins, you see that number go even higher up. The Whitecaps, I can understand to a certain degree, but the Lions are what the class of the the Western Conference right now. Hopefully those numbers go up. Uh, We've got more uh, what we learned coming in here on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. A handful of young athletes from the Ridge Meadows Renegades won medals at the World Junior Ball Hockey Championships in Czechia, representing Canada. That's from uh, Table Saw James. Marcus in Gibson's mentioning that uh, Josh Donaldson is selling selling out for home runs with 10 of 14 hits being home runs so far this season. Yeah, it's, he's not hitting for average. I can guarantee you that much. It's pretty ugly. <laughs> You're not a Josh Donaldson guy? No. I, I'll i be honest, never was. Even even when he was on opposing teams, 
Wasn't my guy. Uh, so Josh Donaldson has 99 at bats this season, 15 hits, batting 152, 10 home runs. Did it? It's wild. Did Aaron Boone just be like, "I just need you to hit home runs"? That's it. Let's pitch in with a little bit of defense every now and then. We're good. <laughs> well, uh, don't even get me started on the Yankees. His defense isn't even that good. No, it's man. Not. Even the Yankees, tough go. In At least the, the Blue Jays uh, are in a wild card spot. Yeah, the Yankees are terrible, man. Uh, Alex Newhook cost more in trade than Alex Debrinkat. He was the more expensive Alex. That's uh, another what we learned. True. We got this one actually from Dan. Uh, it's not your number. What we learned, your clock management is much better than Halford and Bruffs. <laughs> Apparently, we got a producer sitting at home timing our segments. Is it actually? Apparently, we're cheerier. That's what we learned this morning, too, from the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We're more positive than uh, the normies that sit in these chairs in the morning. They are coming up next, though. They're taking over. They'll have a little bit more of a national look than they usually do. Halford and Bruff are coming up. We're back here tomorrow at 6 a.m. We'll talk to you then on The Morning Show.